Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Purdy Insurance. Visit Purdy Insurance on Market Street in Sunbury or visit online at purdyinsurance.com. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. And today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Auto, home, life, business, boat, motorcycle, you name it. They got it all. Okay? RV, four-wheel, whatever it may be. Purdy Insurance will take care of your insurance needs. They'll do so for the best price. They want to save you money. They want to make sure you're covered. And the Purdy Memorial Golf Tournament, a great success of organization and a community coming together. Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. And we're in the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com. Our play-by-play call of the day, a tribute to the legendary Mike Lang. Garen's got the bucket across me, rich shot. He shoots and scores. Oh, get in the fast lane, Grandma. The bingo game is ready to roll. He's passed to Marion Osa. Stutter steps, goes into the fires in. Through people and fire scores. Oh, what a play by Osa. He turns. Goaltender Moran inside out, and he just lost his liquor license. Loose in front. Still a loose puck picked up by Ricky. Scored his first goal ever in a Pittsburgh Penguins uniform. Oh, slap me, silly, silly. Now he'll still be involved with some things on the Penguins radio network. He'll still do some radio appearances, some various Penguins programming, things like that along the way. Josh Getzoff, who's already been calling home games the last two years, uh, anyway, is going to be the guy that. Um, steps in, yeah, he stepped in the last couple of years. I mean, Lang started in 74-75, was actually gone for one year, 75-76, came back after that, never left. Just a great, great hockey broadcast. Terrific guy. And a great personality. So, Mike Lang... Stepping aside as the Penguins' play-by-play voice. 46 years. Well, the Phillies are in first place. And the uh, Mets mere shell themselves right now in the Phillies. Right now, the Phillies are acting like the team that is in charge of that division. I mean, they're not just in first place, but they're acting like they're in charge of it. They are playing terrific baseball right now. Bryce Harper is now playing like and hitting like an MVP. And Zach Wheeler is pitching like a deeply embedded Cy Young Award candidate. Meanwhile, the Mets don't have their deeply embedded Cy Young candidate. They don't have Jacob deGrom. They don't have anybody who can fill that spot. 
Meanwhile, on a day where they retired Roy Halladay's number, Wheeler was brilliant. And right now, the Phillies are in first place. And I'll be honest, you've been waiting for somebody to take that spot. Somebody to suddenly seize some control in the division. And it turns out it's the Phillies. So on a day where they retire, Roy Halladay's 34. Talk about emotion. Zach Wheeler, of course, was great. I mean, Charlie Manuel was there yesterday. Uh, Rich Doobie, Raul Ibanez, Ryan Howard, Jimmy Rollins, they were all there yesterday. Uh, Braden Halliday. Of course, spent the past year here at Penn State, was there as well, along with his mom and brother. And it was uh, Chooch, Carlos Ruiz, who unveiled the 34 statue, along with John Middleton. And Ruiz did something I thought was very touching yesterday. When they unveiled it, he then kissed the statue and then touched his heart. That was a very touching moment. And uh, then to add to it, Uh, Steve Carlton's the one that pulled off the sheet to show Halliday's retired number 34 in the center field wall, which is in between Carlton's 32 and Robin Roberts' 36. It's the seventh retired as a Philly. Carlton, Robin Roberts, obviously number 20 for Mike Schmidt. Dick Allen's number 15. Richie Ashburn's number one. And Jim Bunning's 14. And this is a guy that did all this in four seasons. Halliday was 55 and 29 with a 3.25 ERA in his four seasons with the Phils. This is not a 14 year Philly, he's a four year Philly. That's the kind of impact he had in the organization when he was there. And Chuch Ruiz said what separated Halliday was his work ethic, passion, and dedication. And Halliday, of course, won 203 games total in his career, mostly with Toronto. But when Penn State was getting ready to play in the Outback Bowl, which turned out to be Joe's last um, bowl game, I went down there, and of course, I, I was doing basketball, so I got down a couple days ahead of it. Now, the team had been down there for a little bit. And I got down like two or three days before the game. So I had to sit down and do the pregame with Joe. And Joe said, hey, Steve. He says, says, I know how much you love baseball. He says, you'll get a kick out of this. I said, what's that? He said, what the Phillies did was the Phillies 
when Penn State was there to get ready for the uh, Outback Bowl, the Phillies let them use their Clearwater uh, complex. And Joe said, you know, we're working out at Clearwater. It's great. And he said, there was one guy there that was working out every day. I finally went over to meet him. He says, it was Roy Halliday. He says, that guy works. And Joe, of course, appreciated work. But I always thought that was a neat story that, uh, and what made it neat was, you know, Joe wanted to go over and meet him for one thing, not knowing who it was, and then was introduced to him, and it was Roy Halliday. And the reason he wanted to go over and meet him is because he was working. And this tells you about Roy Halliday. If Joe hadn't gone over to meet him to talk with him, you wouldn't have known he was there doing it. When people weren't watching, Roy Halliday was working. And that's the important part of the story. <clears throat> and ironically, his son Braden is here at Penn State. How about that? Oh, I have all sorts of stories. You know, it's, you know. Bobby Bowden, Pat, you know the last time I saw Bobby Bowden? I didn't talk to him. You know the last time I saw him? You'll love this. 2010. Jack and I are in Tuscaloosa to do the Penn State-Alabama game. And before the game on the field, probably talking for 10 or 15 minutes, how about this triumphant? Bobby Bowden, Nick Saban, Joe Paterno. Well, that's a trio right there. Oh, yeah, a trio. I mean, there's only about, what, 950, almost 1,000 wins between them? (laughs) Literally. Think about that. There's about 950 wins between the three of them. And uh, what, how many national championships? 11? Yeah. And the irony is I think Joe Joe has actually more undefeated seasons than Saban does. You would be correct on that. Because Saban's had, you know, Saban's won national titles, for example, but he's lost a game during just like Joe did. Joe, The irony is Joe has five undefeated seasons, and only one of them was a title. The other one, he lost a game and won the title. <laughs> How about that? Uh, but, you know, that's... And Bowden... What a query. Like I said, there was that one time where I, you know, like I interviewed Bowden a couple, you know, a couple times. Like, as Penn State play him in the Blockbuster Bowl, they play him in the Orange Bowl. So, yeah, I got a chance to interview him. Okay. But for me, I was at the Gator Bowl basketball tournament, as I explained the other day. And, you know, I, I got there. The team was already at the team banquet. So, I'm not going to get a cab and go over. I just didn't. So, I was just waiting to go to dinner or whatever with a friend and and so I'm waiting in the lobby because John Grant and I were going to go get a bite to eat and I'm just sitting there all of a sudden Bowden comes over and I must have a Penn State shirt on whatever he says ah Penn State I said, yeah. he says you know Joe and I told him what I did and he goes oh you do know Joe well then we probably talked for a half hour 45 minutes and I'm talking just talk chit chat stuff 
You know, and when you're done, you walk away and go, you know, that is a genuine down-to-earth guy. That old dad gum stuff and everything like that's who he is. That's who he was, at least the guy I was around. And of course we've had Gene Decker off on the show before, who's also the Buccaneers announcer. Gene thought the world of Bobby Bowden. So ninety one years old. Ninety one. Great loss. All right, we'll take a break. Come back with more in a moment. Great to have you with us. Kirk Herbstreet on the show tomorrow. Neil Kulong on the show tomorrow. We're going to get Ben Bohm on the show. I'm going to shoot for Thursday, if that's okay with you, with Ben. Uh, get him on the show. And uh, and we've got a segment with the suit on best of moments set for 4.30 in the morning on Monday. F-O-U-L-E-D, that spells FAUDA! Yeah, that actually will be the theme of it when it's done. Here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. If you own an RV, you know your home on wheels needs the same protection as your actual home. Hi, this is Season from Purdy Insurance. Whether you hit the road for a weekend or a few months, Purdy Insurance can cover all of your recreational vehicles. From RVs, ATVs, and side-by-sides to motorcycles and golf carts, offering you great coverage at the best price. Call Purdy Insurance at 570-286-5855 or request a quote online at purdyinsurance.com and see what we can do for you. And a pitch to Alonzo. Swing and a miss. He got him. The Phillies have swept out the New York Mets. A complete game shutout by Zach Wheeler, who scattered only two hits. And Tommy McCarthy on the uh, Phillies TV network yesterday. They did sweep them. Set it up for you on the weekend going in. And they end up sweeping. By the way, the Yankees, uh, Anthony Rizzo now is on the COVID list. Yeah, wonderful. So, yeah, I don't know. Nobody can. It's. Nobody can explain. I don't, you know. And that's a scary one. He is vaccinated, but he's a cancer survivor, as yeah, a reminder. Right. But Aaron Boone said yesterday he has mild symptoms, so seems to be doing okay. He probably has. He probably when he, I hear mild symptoms, it sounds like it's cold. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, most I, no. likely. Like you know, and uh, I don't know that there's a way to separate a summer cold from a from COVID. I have no idea, you know, because I'm not going to sit here and be an expert on testing. But yeah, and of course, but then there's um, Araldus Chapman. He's not on the COVID list, but he's on the IL. He's hurt. So, yeah, and Glaber Torres just got put on the IL, too. The Yankees just tweeted. Yeah. But they're somehow still winning, so it is what it is, I guess. They didn't win late yesterday, but that's... Oh, for the most part. Yeah. Um, but they're, they're, I think they're in a good spot right now. Agreed. They're in a good, yeah, they're in a good spot. All right. Uh, something happened in Colorado. And I want to talk about this because this is not just a statement on that slim number of bullies on Twitter, but it's also in the media itself. 
It was reported that there was a racial slur directed at Miami Marlins outfielder Lewis Brinson by a fan at Coors Field on Sunday. And the fan, they did an investigation, and guess what? The fan wasn't yelling a slur and wasn't yelling at Brinson. Guess what the fan was doing? He was yelling at Dinger, the mascot, hoping to get Dinger's attention so Dinger could take a picture with his kids. Now, this guy already was getting ostracized on Twitter by that segment of bullies and was getting ostracized in the media. And the guy did nothing wrong. Zero. Including the Marlins play-by-play broadcaster. Yeah. He tweeted something out criticizing it, saying that the Mike picked it up and that was disgusting what was said. Okay. I tell my class over and over again, and you know, and I don't know, if, you know, obviously Kyle Smith has been in and others, but they can all tell you this. I always tell them the same thing over and over again, and I really hammer it home. I want you to be ethical, to be content at times, to be second and right instead of first and wrong. And that is a big problem across the board with today's media, news, and sports. We'll hammer it home. We'll hammer it home. We'll hammer it home. Let's bring out a guest. Hammer it home. Bring out another guest. Hammer it home. Bring it home. Hammer it. Right? Another guest. Another guest. 24 hours. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. It turns out the story's wrong. Oh, it's wrong? All right, so let's talk about COVID cases down by the border. Okay, so da, 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 and they move to the next thing. They just ate up all this time crushing something. We're absolutely dead wrong about it, and the second they find out they're wrong about it, they go to the next topic. They don't bother saying, hey, wait a minute. We're wrong about this. Brinson said, and the Marlins all said the same thing. They didn't hear anything that sounded inappropriate. Just turned out Brinson was at the plate. If I'm the Rockies, this is what I do. Because this guy's a season ticket holder, by the way. Very quietly, I get a bunch of gear together. I set up a meeting with the family, give them the gear, bring Dinger to take all the pictures they want with no other people around, and surprise them with, with, a, with a meeting with a player as well. And the guy's a season ticket holder. He did nothing wrong. Zero. He called for the mascot so he could get a picture with his kids. They can even see when they're looking at the camera. He's not even looking at Brinson. (laughs) This doesn't excuse what happened, but the Rockies may want to consider changing the name of the mascot. No, but no. Ding it. No, because what's a home run? Oh, Dinger. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Right? In a ballpark where you hit a lot of home runs. That's why he's nicknamed... 
Dinger. Crazy. It is, though, regardless. You know, Tony Clark released a statement condemning the use of racist language. Like, stop it. Wait for the facts. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Auto, home, life, business, RV, motorcycle, boat, whatever the insurance need happens to be, they've got it for you, and they'll get you the best price and save your money. And the Great Purdy Memorial Golf Tournament last week raised a lot of money for the Greater Susquehanna Valley YMCA. It's all at Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. And we're in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors. 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15, Ummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Very pleased from SI.com to bring in old friend Mark Wogenrich. Great to have you on board, sir. Appreciate it, Steve. Thanks for having me. We saw a little football this weekend, huh? So a little bit, yeah. Uh, yeah. So let's start with this. The I think everyone pretty much knew that something was up with Adisa Isaac. Mm-hmm. What was your take on that and also on Jesse Lucchetta? Um, yeah, I, they. I didn't put I didn't put two and two together at the time in the spring when James Franklin kind of casually dropped that Jesse Lucchetta was going to be working out at. Um, at defensive end, um, you know, they're pretty quiet about injuries and, uh, there, but it makes sense that they probably knew then that they were going to at least, you know, have an issue with Adisa that he may, um, you know, might miss the season. So that's a, that's a preparational uh, move. Uh, back then, Jesse's an intriguing prospect at, at that position because really athletic, you know, can move around, and, and I'm curious to see how that pursuit uh, is going to go. He's going to be able to get that get off and get uh, get to quarterbacks and kind of disrupt and do the kind of things that they want him to do. I mean, playing maybe a little bit like they were going to use Micah Parsons last year if he had been available, you know, some linebacker and then at defensive end because that's a, you know, besides it's a big loss when you consider the fact too that they lost three other um, defensive linemen, starting defensive linemen from last year to transferring or the draft or what have you. And uh, actually, you know, and then Shane Simmons too, having moved on to you know, retiring from football, then going to Marshall. So there's a lot of upheaval, you know, a lot of movement around. So they're trying to, with moving Jesse and then some of the other moves they're going to make. I think they're just trying to get as many bodies uh, at that position, at that rush end position, as possible. But I think Isaac probably was um, really a guy they were banking on at least, you know, last spring anyway. Also in the spring, Marquise Wilson got a look on offense. Brent Pry says he'll be starting this preseason on defense. What was your thought on that? That was a curious one because are they planning on playing him at two spots? Where do they really ultimately see him being? You know, we saw him with Keaton Ellis a couple of years ago, impacted corner, and you know, I remember the you know Brent Pry. Terry Smith always talked about um, Marquise's, you know, ability to get to the ball. That's something that they could use. You know, maybe they could use on the offensive side of the ball too, if, you, if they feel like they need some more 
some more good hands there. I'm just curious about that secondary because there's so many players now, especially, you know, with um, Kobe King, excuse me, right? That corner? Yeah, because Kobe's the corner. And Kobe's the linebacker. Kobe's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it just froze there for a second. With his emergence um, over, uh, you know, in the spring, and then Tariq Castro Fields coming back, and obviously Terry Porter coming back, there's a lot there. You know, so they, you know, you could shift Keaton Ellis, but he can play around. He could move Marquise Wilson around. I'd like to see him. I'd like to see Marquise, you know, land really solidly at a position because he's a player I, you know, I really liked as a freshman two years ago. So, you know, I, the thing is I don't see them playing, you know, a two-way guy like that necessarily. If you're going right. to, you know, share snaps, that sort of thing. If you're going to, you know, if you're installing a new offense, you're going to want the receiver on offense, I think, for the most of the time. So that'll be interesting to see in how they incorporate him. There's just, there's a lot of players back there in that secondary. There's just an awful lot in the secondary. You were just testing me, by the way. On yeah, no, mean. well, no, I actually yeah, froze good. the king. Yeah, that was I was kind of like, I learned those better. So it's okay. I'm the one that needs to know it. It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> In the end, uh, what did you think when? You, look, there's always preseason optimism. There always is. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, but I found that when I talked to the, the players. Like it was deep seated. What did you think? It wasn't. I think, and I was not at Big Ten Media Day, but in following it, and I, you know, talking to some of the players Saturday, you know, like John Dotson, who was there, um, I asked him about that, and I said, you know, you really kind of, uh, you really put yourself out there at Big Ten Media Day, saying, you know, we, it was at the, it was at Indy at the uh, Luke Soil Stadium, yeah. said we want to come back here. It reminded me a little bit of, I'm going to go way back to 2005 when Michael Robinson was at yeah. the at Big Ten Media Days, and and he was, you know, I, he was a little turned off, and I think he um, found it very off-putting that nobody really even was that interested in talking to him or can, you know, you know, Penn State was clearly a second thought, uh, and obviously, you know, coming out of the 2004. A four and seven season, yeah, that you know, we're kind of rightfully so, and, and 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 he took offense to that, and I think that supercharged him a little bit, and I think I think uh, these guys probably did the same thing, you know, it happened the same way for them. I, again, like you said, there's always going to be optimism, there's you know, and there's always questions too, but they seem to be in a much better place than I'm not going to say like you know like this time last year but the corollary of going into the 2020 season even absent um the covid restrictions and and what were they were limited to do, limited uh doing they still had a lot of issues because of the way they were unable to practice and their the extra limitations that were that they kind of put on themselves um, with regard to training and separation, and I just I see them being free from that. You know, I you know being at practice Saturday was my first time there in like two years, and it was it was rather eye opening me <laughs> to see that yeah. again. But it looked like for them they were already ensconced in the normality of it. I think which is good. They're, they're they don't seem to be saying anymore. Well. 
last year we couldn't do these things. They seem to be over that, and and I think right. that's an important step to have made. It's interesting about 2005. You know, obviously, as you know, I get to I get to go see what's going on. <laughs> so, I'm driving down to go speak someplace, and and Jack Ham calls me up. So we're talking on the phone for like 45 minutes, whatever. And Jack had gone to practice, and Jack said, "You know, how many wins do you think they can get?" This is 2005, and I said, "Boy, I think." They, I said, "Now, you know, they're coming off a four and seven and a three and nine, you know." And I said, geez, I think they could be double-digit good. And he says, Jack says, yeah, I think they could win 11 games. I said, you know, I agree with you. Okay. So now I go to speak to the group. So the question comes up, hey, how many wins do you think they'll get? And this is the last time I ever did this, the last time. I said, you know, I said, uh, I said they could get 11 wins. And, of course, they looked at me like I was insane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, they what? What they go, 11 and 1, something like that? Yeah, and that's the, actually that was an eleven win or that was an eleven game regular season too, wasn't it? They were yeah. ten and one, right? Yeah, it's uh, ten and one. The Orange Bowl, yeah. And I, uh, it's also the la- I will never do that again. <laughs> of course, it, I mean, I, they, yeah. they wanted to cart me off <laughs> <laughs> on their shoulders you, or in a you know in a taxi. You know, it was to, uh, it was an institution. It, no, no, no. It was it was <laughs> more of an institutional cart off. It was not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just yeah, like I said, I remember Michael Robinson very clearly yeah. discussing that, and I mean, get the same sense um, from these guys. But in you know, in, as a group, yeah, I did kind of feel that. I did kind of feel that they um, really the, 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 that they're still sour tasting it. I get that yeah. specifically from John Dotson, Jaquan Brisker, and Three Castro Fields, and those those are the three guys who tell the story of they had a conversation. Um, you know, after after the last season, saying that didn't sit well with them, and we're going to come back. Um, and they still the, seem to really carry that with them too. What's the gauge you get on Sean Clifford? He was really interesting. He was very positive, smiling, laughing, and he had an edge to him as well. I asked him about going um, to the Manning Passing Academy uh, yeah. this summer, and he said, "I went down there to compete. I went down there. I wanted to prove that I could compete with the best quarterbacks in the country. The other college guys." And, you know who were there he puts himself into that position and and he he discusses last season it it's very much a past tense discussion but he's not afraid to confront it to recognize it as as not being his best year at all and he's also not afraid to change the subject from it like the way he discusses it is yeah i i did not have a great year i i learned from that um, I study it, and I study other elements of quarterback play, too. And, uh, and now I'm applying it. He said a couple of weeks ago he, um, he called Mason Rudolph about playing for Mike Yersuch. Mason Rudolph played right. for Mike Yersuch at um, Oklahoma State, and he wanted to right. pick his brain. And somebody asked him, uh, you know, how'd you get Mason's, Mason Rudolph's right. phone number? And, and so I just said, you know, you know, it's like I know a guy who knows a guy kind of thing. Right. He's, you know – He's not out there um, shying away from anything. Uh, he is—he's putting himself in the world of of elite college quarterbacks, he, and, and he's trying to do that in a bunch of different ways. And that was really interesting to me that he saw—not that he sought out Mason Rudolph, but that he, you know, the guy who knows the guy who knows the guy he can get you Mason Rudolph's phone number, that sort of thing. And he wants to live there. He wants to live in that world. 
Um, but, you know, I think he's doing everything in his power to, to do that. Uh, just the impression from the coordinator, especially Mike Yurcich. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Mike's now had a couple of opportunities to talk with him. He's an impressive guy to talk to. You, you feel like you're talking to a, a guy that on his topic is a genius. But what did mm-hmm. you think of what some of the things he had to say? He engaged in a bit of in a bit of coach speak, which I, I, I understand and I get. And he yeah. doesn't really he doesn't really bring up players necessarily. He doesn't go out of his way to do that. Um, right. It might just be a stylistic thing, but he will answer questions about guys. Um, the one, the line that he used, uh, he was asked specifically about the wide receivers, and then the line he used was, uh, "They're not there yet." It was very, hmm. it was a very blunt answer, but it was part of a larger contextual answer of you know nobody's there yet nobody will ever be there yet that sort of ultimately that coach thing where you can you know one percent better every day kind of thing but if you would just to take that first line from it it was very stark to me he said none of you know these receivers are not where we want them to be neither are the tight ends offensive linemen running backs quarterbacks everything like that um he doesn't he doesn't shy away from being it's not a negativity i would say but it's a it's a pushing and I think a couple of guys have mentioned how they, you know, the players how they call them juice. And I hadn't seen them on the field. There's a bunch of coaches that I had not seen on the field, you know, because right. you know, guys like, uh, you know, John Scott, even going back, you know, two years, John Scott, Anthony Poindexter, Phil uh, Trout one. Yeah, Phil Trout one. He's another one. He's just, he's getting yeah. down in his stance kind of guy. Ty Taylor Howell. Stubblefield is, is, yeah. Taylor Stubblefield, you know, being, he, he's really energetic. And yeah. Mike was intense. You know, he moved around a lot. I, I was watching, I would watch James Franklin go from kind of station to station. Um, and his big thing seemed to be noise, which I hadn't, I think Mike Porman actually from statecollege.com pointed this out to me. I didn't really considered it. This is really going to be their first true road game, road game with fans and everything since they went to Ohio State. Yeah. Exactly. In, um, in 2019, in November 2019. Mm-hmm. And they're going to go to Wisconsin. They're not playing a road game. The place, you know, it's going to have thirty-five thousand people. If it's if it's full and loud, it's going to be an enormous kind of game. And it's it's they when you don't play road games, you know, or you play road games like you did last year, you that's going to be you can't prepare for that. Some of these guys have never been in those environments. Guys, spend you get out of that environment for you, you forget what it's like. So James Franklin was marching around just telling people to shout, yell. Um, we're going to need to hear you, that sort of thing. That's, Mike Yersich was doing that. Uh, really energetic. He was, you know, and him, John Scott. You know, John Scott was another one. People had to compare them like he's not Sean Spencer as a defensive line coach, personality-wise, he's not him. Right. So I watched him a little bit, you know, really high octane, a lot of movement, loud, you know, really pushing the guys. Um, it was Again, that was something I didn't necessarily expect. Because of all everything, it was just what I had heard about him over the last year. So it was good to see these guys kind of in their natural element um, doing what they do instead of just kind of hearing about how they how they do these things. Well, remember, they're going to have mm. to do something. This is for the fans. I'm not telling you. Mm. I mean, you haven't had to do a silent count. Yeah. Right? You haven't had to do hand signals mm-hmm. any of that stuff. You've been able to walk up to the line of scrimmage and kind of do things the way you want to because, I mean, yeah, I was sitting in the booth. We could hear it. Right, we could. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, all we could we could hear everything everybody was doing on both sides of the ball, all the time. Um, now it didn't help me at all, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I just but again, that was something I hadn't hadn't really connected with me. Yeah. You know? 
But, uh, yeah, they're going to go into one of the loudest states to start the season in one of the loudest stadiums in the country. Um, you've got to be ready for that. Mark, it's always a fun conversation. I appreciate it and yeah, appreciate, appreciate you very it, much. Steve. Thanks, Mark. Yep, thanks. Mark Wogenrich, SI.com. We'll wrap it up in a moment. Brought to you by Purdy Insurance on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. When we leave this stage tonight, it is no longer about us. It is about cultivating the game that has given so much to us. It's about nurturing football to live and thrive another day, another year, decade, and another generation. It's about guaranteeing that kids everywhere can learn, bond, grow, and have fun with every flag pulled, every tackle made, every pass thrown, every run, block, sack, and touchdown scored. God bless you, and God bless football. I knew the tradition and expectation of Pittsburgh Steelers. Hell, I grew up there and saw what Chuck Noll in the 70s Steelers did in revitalizing the Pittsburgh area. What I didn't know is how did it work on the inside? Who were the Roonies? Well, in my 15 years as head coach, I grew in every aspect of my life. Dan was a visionary leader. He never missed a teaching moment and inspired those around him. The Rooney family core values were always about family, community, and just do the right thing. And isn't that what this Hall of Fame family is all about? What better person teaches the game of football than defense, Hall of Fame defensive coordinator Dick LeBeau? Six of our 11 years together, our team led the NFL in total defense. To be drafted by Hall of Fame coach Bill Cower. To observe the development of another Hall of Fame coach and Mike Tomlin. I had a Hall of Fame college coach at USC my strength conditioning coach was Marv Marinovich, and I even had Tom Brady's body coach, Alex Guerrero. I suppose the suit wishes Peyton Manning had played for the Steelers. But we got his guy, Coach Cower, on there. I mean, the suit is glued to the CBS pregame show to find out what Coach Cowher has to say. Oh, my almighty! Now, it used to be back in the day he was glued to the TV set to find out what Jimmy the Greek said, but that's a different story. F-O-U-L-E-D, that spells Falda! <laughs> and, of course, Troy Polamalu. When Troy Polamalu was in college, Jack and I did the kickoff classic. And to be honest with you, Carson Palmer did not play well in that game at all. I think he only threw for 
79 yards. But Polamalu picked off a pass and he ran it back for a touchdown. So, yes, I've announced the Troy Polamalu touchdown in my life. <laughs> picked it off and ran it back for a score. It's like, hey, yeah, yeah, okay. I looked over, I said, well, I said, that guy's a first-round pick. <laughs> Turned out he was a Hall of Famer. And then Peyton Manning. It's a great speech. You, when, no matter what profession, if you care about your profession, if you care about your profession, it is important to then become a mentor in that profession, and it's important to give back to the profession. And that's what Peyton Manning's talking about, giving back to the flag football program, giving back to a junior high program, giving back to a high school program, supporting a college program, supporting, obviously, all the way up to the pro ranks, that you have to constantly be giving back. And it's that like that for any profession. We asked the suit about being a mentor, and he said he had no time. I, you know, everybody's their own way of going about their business. It's... I asked the suit about, you know, about, you know, giving back. And he said, look, I look out for number one. Everybody has their own answer. It's all right. He said something about charity begins at home. What does that mean? I, I, it's, talk to Matt about it. Matt said, I'll give back freely anytime, anywhere, anyone. Time, treasure, whatever it may be. Soup, charity begins at home. All right, it's a different philosophy. Kirk Herbstreet tomorrow. He'll join us at 406.